Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, April 15th, and we're talking financials. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we're going to talk about all of these bank earnings we have coming down the pike here. Some have already announced, some coming up here, uh, and, and hey, we're going to dig into them all. Uh, we'll, of course, have one to watch for you as we wrap up the show, but we begin today with a new installment of Between Two Fools. While you've likely heard of Zelle, Erling Warning Services is the company behind the network, and Luann Alexander is the group president of payments for Early Warning Services. Recently, Matt Frankel talked with Luann about fintech, the state of person-to-person payments, and the role Zelle is playing in it all. We are here with Luann Alexander. Luann is group president of payments of Early Warning. And if you're not familiar with that name, you might be familiar with Zelle, which is their peer-to-person-to-person payment platform. So we are going to jump right in. Hi, Luann. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Excellent. Um, how is everything going at Zelle these days? Well, Zelle is, uh, Zelle is going great. We are uh, absolutely focused on changing consumer behavior and the way that they pay. And uh, we're getting great results from that, Matt. Excellent. So we talk a lot on our show about the various person-to-person payment platforms. Um, you, you know, all your competitors like Venmo and Square Cash and things like that. So what do you view as Zelle's biggest obstacles to success? Well, I, as I said, Matt, I think, you know, consumers, we know two things about the way that they pay. They do not pay to pay. And it's really difficult to get consumers out of their current payment behavior. So just think about it. You probably pay your landlord in the very same way. You probably pay for your groceries in a very different way that you pay your babysitter. So as we're focusing on changing consumer behavior, uh, we're having great success in helping customers understand that it can be fast and it can be easy. Uh, but we also have to help them understand that also can be safe for them. So in our recent digital payments adoption study, for the very first time, we saw over 50% of first-time P2P users are age 45 and over. So it's not just the younger generations, it's older generations who are interested in P2P and trialing it because of that better confidence and trust in digital payments. So would you say that one of your big obstacles is educating consumers on the value of peer-to-peer payments, especially the older generation that you just referred to? Absolutely. And, you know, I think as they're becoming more familiar with the Zelle brand, uh, we're also expanding our marketing messages to target that daily and what I would call habitual use. So we're making customers aware of the various ways that they can use Zelle. So our new marketing campaign is called Everyday Better. It launched last week, and we're really trying to reach folks in digital media, in dining locations, and shopping districts, and helping them understand that they can gift better, meaning 
may have a college student who absolutely would prefer to receive money. Uh, in fact, I just was forwarded a wedding invitation where the couple wanted very much to save for a purchase of a home. So they included their Zell alias on the wedding invitation to help to receive monies for their savings. Same way for baby gifts, um, maybe a third baby. So you may not need those diapers and clothing and savings for college is what's most important. So you'll see a lot of advertising targeted at educating consumers on the various ways that they can use Zelle on a daily basis. Excellent. So what I, when I read your study, this, the trend that surprised me the most is how successful you've been with the older age groups. What, what trends in banking in general and just digital adoption have, have been, have stood out to you as being the most surprising and most encouraging even? Yeah, you know, I think, Matt, our, our, we have a good level of success because Zelle is right in banking apps. In fact, um, most of our consumers are comfortable using it through their financial institutions. So 52% of Gen X and 46% of Baby Boomer responded that they trust P2P payments and are interested. And 76% of Gen X and 74% of Baby Boomers also said that offered through their financial institution was the key reason that they would trial P2P payments. Okay, so would you kind of just to follow up on that real quick, do you think that that, that the fact that you're integrated with so many banking platforms is a big advantage, a competitive advantage for Zelle? Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's no need to download an additional app. It's right there in the trusted financial institution online banking or mobile banking app that I currently use. It's the same support group that supports me with all of my financial needs. Uh, and if I need to go to a branch, I generally can find one and look at somebody face to face. So yes, all of that establishes that common trust and confidence in the Zelle brand. Okay, well, speaking of competition, do you, do you see um, Zelle, Venmo, Cash, Etc. as being in competition, or is there just a ton of room for the whole industry to grow? Well, certainly I think we view checks and cash as our competition. And just to give you some quick stats, we had our biggest quarter ever at the end of 2018. Uh, we did $35 billion in payments. Uh, that was 135 million transactions. And for all of 2018, uh, we moved $119 billion, 433 million transactions. So certainly it's large, it's growing. There's still a lot out there. We really view this digital payments as a revolution in the way that money moves. So certainly that being able to move money in minutes when both parties are enrolled is something that hasn't been available to consumers in the past. Definitely. So you said that this is still, you know, very much evolving. So where do you see this? Where do you see person-to-person uh, -person payments going in the next, you know, say five or 10 years? So I think we, we hear a lot about P2P and Zelle certainly is a person-to-person -person payment technology, but we also offer uh, disbursements, uh, corporates sending money to consumers and small businesses. So some quick examples of that are financial aid disbursement. So Matt, you may remember the days of standing outside of the financial aid office waiting to get your check. 
I do. So certainly beneficial for, you know, that student that's arriving on campus to have uh, immediate access to their funds in order to uh, rent their apartments and pay for the various things that you have to do there. Uh, We see other uses in insurance claims. Uh, In fact, Matt, one of the largest transactions we've seen thus far is a $2.8 million transaction, which was one of our insurance companies paying out a home claim. So as you might imagine, with all of the individuals who have been impacted by some of our recent disasters, being able to have that money very quickly right in your checking account, particularly when you don't have a mailbox anymore to receive a check, um, has been absolutely moving for us. Uh, We also have helped uh, the Red Cross um, in dispersing funds for immediate relief money, uh, money for dry clothes for some of the floods that we've seen with recent hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, uh, for food and for other needs. And I'm very happy to say now with three partners like Wells Fargo, you can also use Zelle to donate to the Red Cross. Excellent. So just to be clear on that, that was a a $2.8 million insurance claim that was available in someone's checking account within minutes? Within minutes, that's right. Wow. So we talked, uh, we had dedicated a whole recent episode to the trend toward the cashless society. Um, You may have heard us, I don't know if you've heard us, but we were ranting about how some stores in the airport refuse to accept cash these days. And um, certain like the Amazon Go stores are completely cashless. Do you ever see cash going away completely or where do you see the trend away from cash? Because it seems to be getting more, less and less convenient to use cash on a daily basis. You know, I am, I'll laugh a little bit with you because we've been predicting the demise of the consumer check since about 1970. And uh, we're still working on that. So, uh, you know, I don't see cash going away completely, but I definitely see it uh, its usage being decreased very significantly. In fact, Matt, five years ago, would you have popped on a plane and gone cross country without a dollar bill in your wallet? Uh, and many of us do that today. Um, so I think, you know, adoption of P2P payments is going to continue. We're going to continue to innovate and increase some of the uses of Zelle, particularly in the small business arena where many checks and cash are used. Um, so I do think you're going to see significant declines in cash, um, but not necessarily it going away completely. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned the airport thing, just because there there have been periods of a month or more where I I don't have any cash in my pocket these days, and that's something that was completely unthinkable just you know a decade ago. Um, Right. Right. So, just kind of going a little bit further on that, um, I heard that Zelle has some big things coming up in the next year or two. Uh, Can you kind of elaborate on where Zelle in particular is going over the next? you know, a few months to years? I think you hit on it already. It's wherever check and cash are being used. So again, small business is one of the areas that we're focusing in. Uh, Many small businesses, as you know, uh, run in the red and cash flow is vital to their survival. So not only being able to get paid in minutes, but also be able to make very timely payments to their suppliers is very critical. So you'll see a significant emphasis from our financial institutions in the small business world. 
I think the disbursements that we talked about, corporates um, using Zelle in order to get money into consumer accounts or employee accounts very, very quickly. The same thing with governments and governments being able to be able to pay their citizens or get money from their citizens very quickly. So those are a few places that we are going to focus. And just kind of one last question. Um, do you see more, uh, you just mentioned payments, so that brings up kind of an interesting point, paying employees and things like that. Do you see a lot more payments activity, like employee payments going through Zelle these days, or is it just primarily still person to person? No, we do see payroll as one of the top use cases. Uh, Matt, as you might uh, imagine, some of that payroll is from the gig economy, and others are what we would call exception items that normally would had to be paid through a wire transfer system, something like that. So mistakes in payroll that need to be corrected very, very quickly. Uh, travel and entertainment uh, reimbursements is another place that we see payroll application today within Zell. Excellent. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to sit and chat with us today. Matt, we, thank you. Again, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Before we continue, we want to say thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success in the new year. But where do you find that person? That's why when it comes to posting your job, go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. I'm talking about LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. Find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com fool. Terms and conditions apply. And now joining me in the studio, not via Skype, we're face-to-face -face today, folks. It's Mr. Matt Frankel, Certified Financial Planner, live in the flesh, right here in the studio. Matt, man, it's 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 good to have the back and forth here today with you in the room for change. Yeah, it's good to be here, and I didn't have to fight a snowstorm this time <laughs> to get up here. Remember last time, it was just pretty much me and you in the building. Yeah, and it was a little bit a little bit of rain, it sounded like, for you, but uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> I'll take it's it. a little bit easier to deal with in the snow, for sure. Um, hey, listen, great interview there with Luann. I think that was something a lot of our listeners... Uh, really appreciate understanding more about the role Zelle is playing in all of this because it, you know we talk a lot about Square and PayPal and all these fintech companies, um, and we've had the questions on Twitter before. Zelle is something that's out there. What's what's the role they're playing? Are they a competitor? Is this something these networks have to be worried about? Um, definitely appreciate you reaching out and, and, and getting that interview set up with Luann. That, that was uh, enlightening from a number of perspectives. Um, and, and we've got some more interviews set up here uh, to, to bring to our listeners in the coming weeks. I'm really excited about that. We do. I'm doing a few interviews, so I'm not quite as experienced as Jason at it, but <laughs> I'm doing my best. Hopefully, you guys are learning something fun. Zell had some cool cool points in there. Yeah, yeah. I think, hey, listen, it's, it's it's a skill that I'm still trying to figure out myself. So uh, we're <laughs> I learned from the master. No. <laughs> hey, well, uh, before we get going here, just a quick reminder, as, as uh, Matt also reminded me, and I didn't even think about this, today's tax day, everybody. Make sure you get those taxes filed. Um, man, I, I, I did our taxes so long ago, 
I mean, I feel like it was a lifetime ago. This was the first year in a long time that I've been able to do. Um, I, I say I, we have been able to do our taxes uh, ourselves, as opposed to having a tax professional doing for us because we were we were uh, dealing with with rental property for a time, and we, you know, recently had some real estate transactions. All of that stuff is just beyond really. I, I don't know how to maximize <laughs> taxes when it comes to that stuff. So, so this was the first year in a long time I've been, we've been able to do them just uh, at the click of a button on um, on TurboTax. It was it was it was a nice it was a nice break. Yeah, this was definitely a simplification year too. Uh, this is the first year in. Probably a decade. I used a standard deduction. Oh wow! Oh yeah, that's they right. Well, it. yeah, because they doubled it. Essentially, so, made it a little bit of a right. Normally, we have you know mortgage insurance yep. or mortgage interest and some charitable donations and property taxes, but it didn't add up to more than the standard deduction this year. So yeah, I was wondering how that play out for us. I guess living up here, I mean, property is really expensive up here, and you know, in most cases, the interest on the loans that you're pulling out up here. Usually is is more than that standard deduction, but I imagine at some point or another we'll we'll hit that point where it flips over. But but this year we we were able to itemize, so that that helped our cause. I think. Nice. I mine were mine were much easier than they were before, <laughs> and I and I got a little bit of a tax break. So well, everybody, get out there, click that button, do whatever you got to do. Don't delay. This is the last day you can get it done. So. Uh, with that, let's kick into uh, earnings season here. We've got banks that opened everything up for us late last week and going into this week. Um, remind me, Matt, last week on Friday, I think we had Wells Fargo report. We had J.P. Morgan report. I think we had Citigroup that reported this morning. Um, what was it that stood out to you in regard to any of the banks in particular or, or the sector in general? Well, Friday, it looked like everything was going to be great for banks. Um, J.P. Morgan is always the first. They have to beat Wells Fargo by about an hour. Um, <clears throat> but they definitely started things off on a high note. They beat earnings. They beat revenue by a billion and a half, which is a pretty big beat. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was the source of that? Um, just their loan business is doing great. Um, higher interest rates are really translating into better interest margins. They ran a 16% return on equity, if that gives you any indication. That's we haven't even heard happy. from all the banks, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be the highest. It's yeah, that sounds fair a to bit say. Uh... Um, loan portfolio grew by four percent, which a lot of banks didn't. Um, investment banking revenue popped by forty four percent year wow. over year. So and uh, yeah, net interest income was up by eight percent thanks to the higher interest rates. So that was a big part of it. Yeah, and we talk about higher interest rates. I mean, let's it's it's all kind of relative, right? I mean, they still seemingly are very low, but they are higher. And I mean, we we talk about this a lot. Is you know, as those interest rates go up, I mean, banks do stand to perform better over time, even when it's just those little quarter quarter percent rate increases. I mean, it doesn't take a lot, right? And especially business banks that have a big credit card business, like J.P. Morgan does. Who doesn't have a Chase credit card somewhere in their wallet? I mean, I think most people have. It's fair to say Amazon's a Chase credit card. I was going to say, I think I do. <laughs> if you have an Amazon card, you have a Chase credit card. Um, but there's you know, quite a there's a big credit card business. Their credit card business has been growing like wildfire, and um, it's just the credit card interest rates are the one of the few that are directly tied to the federal funds rate. Yep. So as the Fed's hiked rates eight or nine times, I, I think nine over the past few years, it's really translated into higher profits for banks like J.P. Morgan. 
Now we were looking. Um, we 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 read an article recently that was talking about how I mean it was it was mid midweek last week as the bank CEOs were here in D.C. They were answering some questions that politicians were posing in regard to the banking system and. You know, perhaps there were some folks who feel like the banks are getting a bit of a free ride, and and business is is almost too good, I guess, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Um, but but I think it, ultimately, what I took away from all of this was like it doesn't seem to me that we're in a position where we should expect legislation to change in such a significant way that it's going to impact these banks. It, it, certainly in the near term, I mean, and I, and I, I don't even really think in in the, the mid near term, if, if that's you know, if that if that if that makes sense. I mean, I think over the course of the next three to five years, it's going to be pretty much running as a status quo. I mean, I think these banks have a really friendly environment to be able to do whatever they want to do, right? You know, it's a pretty friendly growth environment. Uh, capital requirements are still relatively high on a, in a historical context. That's kind of if any regulations do get rolled back, I see it being the capital requirements on banks. But the tone is definitely not what it was a few years ago. You still have some politicians like you know Elizabeth Warren, smoke comes out of her ears every time she talks to a bank CEO, <laughs> and maybe deservedly so. But the the tone is not as we need to be restrictive on banks. A few years ago, especially in the few years following the financial crisis, the tone of any bank hearing was what are we going to do to keep these guys in check? And now that you're, you're not really hearing that as much anymore. If anything, it's some regulations are starting to go the other way. Even Dem- so a lot of Democrats were on board when they ro- they increased the SIFI uh, requirement, the systemically important financial institution, from a $50 billion to two fifty a few years ago. So you're even seeing some bipartisan re- support that maybe some of the financial crisis regulations went a little bit too far. But yeah, I see it being business as usual. This is probably the best growth environment for banks in about 30 years. If you roll back the capital requirements, it's definitely the best growth environment for yeah. banks. So it could be a good you know few years for banks and their investors. Well, I mean, hey, you know we're 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 always talking about banks. Of course, on this show, we talk a lot about the big banks. We talk a lot about the little banks. And I think either which way you look at it, I mean, you need to have you need to have some dollars allocated to those companies. We talk, of course, a lot about the payments companies, and and that's that's a big part of it. But as we'll see in the coming weeks too, I mean, whether it is it is the payments companies or the big banks, and we're going to have an interview here uh, with Marcus coming up where you're going to be uh, shedding some light on what Marcus is doing there. I'm really excited for that. Um, I mean, yeah, it feels like you got to have some investment dollars allocated to those banks. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that you know, we'll keep an eye on them, of course, but but I think that if anything, uh, this, this earnings season really tells us they are set up to succeed, I think, for a long time to come. Uh, okay, listen, before we wrap things up, uh, we want to get to one to watch. And speaking of big banks, I think you uh, you have one of those very big banks for us on one to watch this week, right? Right. I'm looking, I'm definitely watching JP Morgan Chase. Um, so far, we've heard from four major banks. We've heard from them. We've heard from Wells Fargo, whose earnings were good, but not fantastic. Uh, we've heard from Goldman Sachs, whose earnings were just kind of left something to be desired. <laughs> And Citigroup uh, was also a revenue miss, but you know, looked okay. J.P. Morgan has been the absolute standout of bank earnings so far. Um, they keep growing every every quarter. I think it can't get much that much better. Um, you know, they can't distance themselves that much more above the rest of the pack. 
and they continue to do so, that return on equity number I mentioned earlier, 16%. I mean, that's something that would have been unheard of for one of the big banks just a few years ago. So I think JP Morgan Chase is definitely one to one to watch in banking. There you go. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw an insurance company into the mix here. One I've I've talked about before. I used to work there. Travelers, uh, the big red umbrella. It has been a very good year thus far for Travelers, and they have earnings coming up later this week. So uh, just be interested to hear how they see this year setting up, and um, if anything stands out, uh, we'll certainly uh, be talking about it on next week's show. Uh, but yeah, I feel like Travelers is one that's always snuck under the radar here. Uh, certainly, when it comes to our services, it always surprised me that Travelers was never a company that was actually recommended. Um, but it is one that you hear Buffett also talk a lot about. In fact, I think that Berkshire still owns Travelers in their portfolio. I'll have to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure they own uh, some of the Travelers uh, companies in their portfolio. So, uh, yeah, it's, we'll it's one of the few it. insurance companies they don't own outright, but still invest yeah. in. Yep, man, that's that's you know interesting. I mean, if you talk about those big acquisitions that they're looking for, I mean, maybe something like the Travelers would, maybe that big uh, red umbrella would look very nice underneath that big Berkshire umbrella. Perhaps Maybe. we'll see one day, uh, but we will leave it there for you this week. Again, be on the lookout for some great uh, interviews uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Uh, Matt has lined up some really great stuff. Excited to get that out to you. Um, until then, though, uh, we will bid you farewell, Matt. It's always been uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here on the show, but but it's even more so to have you in the studio. Uh, really appreciate you. Making the trip up to do this. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. I love it up here. Yeah, well, it makes it a lot easier for I think all of us. You know, I mean, and the listeners get a get a bit more out of it too. I think. Uh, so we'll have to figure out more reasons to get you up here in the near future for sure. Definitely. Okay. Well, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan for Matt Frankel. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.